There's a lot of talk about student loan debt and the rising cost of college education. And as planners, we may have clients who want to help their children or grandchildren with this rising cost. Now, one tax effective solution for our clients is to set up a what's called a 529 plan for their children and grandchildren. Our guest today, David O, presented on this topic for a CLA Trust and Estate section webinar earlier this year. He is Trust Counsel at Fiduciary Trust based in the Northern California office and is a subject matter expert on this topic. I'm your host, Anna Solomon. I'm on the executive committee of the Trust and Estate section of the California Lawyers Association, and this is Trust Me. Welcome to Trust Me the official podcast of the Trust and Estate section of the California Lawyers Association. The Trust and Estate section seeks to further the knowledge of practitioners through updates and a wide range of educational opportunities. In addition, the section monitors and participates in the formation of laws and regulations that impact the Trust and Estates field and represents section members in the governance of the California Lawyers Association. For further information about the Trust and Estates section, please go to calawyers.org, click on Sections, Trusts and Estates to learn about upcoming educational opportunities and the benefits of section membership. And now, to your host of today's podcast. So let's start with a very basic question. What is a 529 plan? You know, Anna, I consider the 529 plan as the unicorn of educational saving. Unicorn of educational savings. That is a very bold statement, David. Why do you think that? Well, it's no secret that the cost of education is on the rise. And so 529 plans are special because they provide a tax-efficient vehicle to save for a student's education. And from a planning perspective, they allow an account owner to maintain control over the assets without having it includable in their estate, which is pretty neat. So that seems like there's a lot of benefits to unpack there. But first, let's focus on what this plan can be used for. So it can cover more than tuition, right? You're right. You know, it can cover more than tuition. A big expense is room and board. And so it can cover that. Other things that are includable are books and supplies. And over time, the code has changed to allow for things like Internet, laptops and software. And how about student loans? Can the funds be used to pay off student loans? Yeah, you know, you can now apply up to $10,000 from a 529 plan towards a student's qualified loans. And what's even better is you can now apply that towards a beneficiary sibling as well, too. Wow, that's great. And then also when people hear 529 plan and educational expenses, they automatically assume college expenses. How about, you know, elementary school or secondary schools? Can a 529 plan be used for those expenses? Yeah, a relatively recent change that came about in 2017 is that now you can use proceeds from the 529 plan towards elementary and secondary schools, which wasn't the case before. So now up to $10,000 per year can go towards those costs. Just keep in mind though, that the earlier you take money out of a 529 plan, the more likely it is that it could be stunting the tax-free growth within the account. Yeah, that's a very good point. The idea is a lot of people put money in a 529 plan when the children or grandchildren are young and it sort of sits there and the assets grow over time. And by the time they're in college, this one small pot is now this pretty big pot. Is that right? 
I agree. Okay, so now let's talk about the setup and the administration of a 529 plan. So how would you go about setting up a 529 plan for someone? And can you talk a little bit about how the investing piece works? Sure. You know, it's pretty straightforward in opening up a 529 plan. So that's great. It's as simple as walking into a financial institution, visiting your financial advisor or broker and setting one up on the spot in person. So that's one option. Another option is you can do it online. And that's pretty easy as well. You can search for them through the financial institutions that you may work with, or you can visit state-sponsored sites as well. Now, when you open it, it's very important to note that it has to be open with cash. Cash is the only form that it'll take. And the account owner who's opening it also gets to set an investment strategy. So the account owner isn't going to stock pick over time. Rather, you'll probably select an overall philosophy or strategy. And the portfolio will be composed of things like mutual funds or target date funds that will match that philosophy. I think you brought on a really good point. So the funding for the account has to be with cash, right? That's right. You can't just bring over a portfolio from somewhere else. It has to be in the form of cash. And then how about any limits? So what is the maximum a person can contribute to a 529 plan per beneficiary? Yeah, the maximum threshold that you're going to hit will really depend on the plan and depends on the state in which you have that plan with. So you'll have to take a look at the plan details and make sure that you know those amounts. And how about in our state, California? What's California's threshold? Yeah, the good news is that California is on the higher side, right? And so for 529 plans, the threshold here is $529,000 of contribution. That's the limit here. So it's easy to remember, right? 529 plans, $529,000. If you look at other states, however, like let's take, for example, somewhere like Georgia. Georgia's threshold limit is $235,000 of contribution limits. So keep that in mind. Right. Pay attention to that when you're selecting a plan. Right. How much you can contribute may factor into the plan you ultimately select. So pay attention to those details. Oh, that's good. Five hundred and twenty nine thousand for the five twenty nine plan here in California. I never noticed that. (laughs) So now that we've created this plan, let's talk about administration. So how does a beneficiary receive a distribution? So, for example, do the expenses have to be paid directly to a school or can a beneficiary pay those first and then get reimbursed for those expenses? That's a good question. And now we're getting to the fun part, right? Like, how do we spend the money? How do we get the money out? And so one option is definitely the one you describe, which is having the account owner make a payment directly to the educational institution. And so that's as straightforward as sending a wire over to the school to pay for things like tuition and room and board. But, you know, there are situations where the student might need funds for things other than costs incurred from the school. And so in those cases, the student can go out and purchase things that they need. Maybe it's a laptop or books, supplies, things like that. And they can provide substantiation in the form of receipts to the account owner. And the account owner can reimburse the student for costs incurred. And how about lending money to a beneficiary? So for example, if a beneficiary can't front the money to pay for those books or laptops, you know, can get really expensive for an 18, 19 year old, can you give money to a beneficiary first so loan them the money? Absolutely, yes you can. It just requires a little bit more work. So you can advance funds to a student beneficiary. 
Just keep in mind, though, that the student has to certify that they're going to provide you receipts within 30 days of receiving those funds. So it does require a little bit more work, but in certain situations that might be needed and that flexibility is very valuable. So yes, it is possible. That's great, that's great. And how about in situations where something was paid out that should not have been paid out? So for example, a beneficiary asked for a car and for some reason that was paid out of the 529 plan. What happens in that situation? Distributions for non-educational purposes are something we consider as what we call non-qualified distributions. And the outcome of making such a distribution is that you have to pay the tax on that specific distribution plus a 10% penalty on top of that. So it's, it's sort of like taking a premature distribution from like an IRA, like a tax-deferred retirement account, right? Yes, that's a good way to put it. Okay, so now we have this beneficiary and, you know, we paid the expenses for this beneficiary throughout college, right? And this beneficiary decided that, you know, they don't want to go to grad school, no more schooling for them, right? And let's say this 529 plan still has a little bit of money in it. What happens to the rest of the money in the account if there's no more educational expenses? If you have money left over in a 529 account, there are a couple of options. From a tax standpoint, what would probably make the most sense is if you took the remaining funds in the plan and then have the account owner change the beneficiary to a member of the family of the original beneficiary. And that way you could preserve a lot of the income tax benefits that 529 plans provide. If you don't want to do that, or maybe the amount in the 529 plan is pretty nominal. The other option is the account owner can withdraw the proceeds and then pay the income tax and the penalty. And maybe it's just worth it to close down the account. And so the account owner has that option too. If it's small enough, right? And you know that's interesting about changing the beneficiary to a family member. I didn't know that you can do that. So thank you for pointing that out. Speaking of taxes, can you walk us through how the 529 plans are treated for tax purposes? So let's start with income tax. Now, what are the income tax benefits for the contributions? Yeah, let's start with contributions. Unfortunately, there is no federal income tax benefit for making a contribution to a 529 plan. However, depending on the state, you may or may not receive a benefit. I would say about 30 states in the country offer a benefit in the form of a tax deduction or a tax credit for contributing to a 529 plan. Now, some of these states might require an income tax threshold, right, depending on the tax bracket you're in. Also, a lot of these benefits come with contributing to an in-state 529 plan. So the requirements is that you have to be an in-state resident contributing to an in-state 529 plan in order to receive this tax benefit. And how about being a Californian? If I'm a California resident and I have an in-state California plan, do I receive any of those benefits? Unfortunately not. I know that we here in California have probably the highest state income tax or one of the highest state income tax, but unfortunately, contributing to a 529 plan does not give us any relief. Well, that's our tax of being a Californian, I guess. Earlier, we also talked about keeping funds in the account so that the account can grow. How are the earnings in the account taxed? 
Yeah, the primary tax benefit for the 529 plan, the big draw to it, is that earnings and growth within the account are tax exempt until withdrawn. And even when you get to the time of withdrawal, if those distributions are made towards qualified educational expenses that we talked about earlier, even then those distributions are tax exempt as well. Wow, that's great. That's a great benefit. And how about estate and gift taxes? Like when a person contributes to a 529 plan for someone, is that considered a completed gift? Yes, it is. You know, from a gift tax perspective, it's important to have a completed gift, right? Because that's how you qualify for the annual gift tax exclusion amount, which for 2022 is $16,000, by the way. But it's interesting because when you think about a transfer, you have to give over complete dominion and control, but you don't really have that with a 529 plan. You make a contribution to a plan and the beneficiary doesn't have any say in how it's managed or how it's distributed, but the code carves out a section. So even though the beneficiary doesn't have dominion and control, it still qualifies for the annual exclusion amount for the donors. The other neat thing is that for 529 plans, it has a special feature where you can front load five years worth of the annual gift tax exclusion amount all at once. And so you don't have to wait for each year to pass to do this. And it's a tremendous opportunity for growth within the account. So for front loading, let's do the math here. So you mean we can gift five times the annual exclusion today. So the annual exclusion today, $16,000 per person, right? So five times 16,000, that's $80,000. And then let's say you have a spouse. So then you double that amount to double the gift. So that's $160,000. So you can gift $160,000 today and not have that count as a taxable gift. Is that right? That's right. That, that's good math, Anna. And gift splitting is also available for spouses who want to gift the maximum annual exclusion amount. Oh, that's great. That's great. And how about estate taxes and also generations giving taxes? What should we think about there? So all the wealth transfer taxes are in play. For estate tax purposes, the assets in the 529 plan are includable in the beneficiary's estate. So it counts towards their tax liability if they have one. And that makes sense, right? Because the student is the one who's benefiting from the account, right? Yes, it does make sense. But it's interesting because to my point before, they're on the hook for the estate tax liability, even though they don't have any say in how it's managed. They can't control the distributions and they can't assign where it goes. They can't appoint where it goes to in case they don't need it because they do benefit from it. They still are on the hook for the estate tax. That's true. That's true. And how about GST tax? Yeah, planners should keep in mind that GST tax is a consideration if a donor is making a contribution to a beneficiary who is two generations or lower. GST tax is in play. The good thing about this, the silver lining is that if a contribution qualifies for an annual gift tax exclusion amount, right, the $16,000, it also automatically enjoys the annual exclusion amount for the GST tax as well. So they go hand in hand, which isn't always the case for gifting in general. Yes, that's true. So sometimes the annual GST tax exclusion does not apply for all gifts, right? 
That's right. Gift. That's yeah. right. Okay, so let's switch gears again. Thank you, David, for discussing all the tax considerations dealing with 529 plans. And let's switch gears to talking about other options. So 529 plans are a good option for clients, but let's discuss alternatives. So a common alternative is an UTMA account, and UTMA stands for Uniform Transfers to Minors Act account. Sometimes here in California, we call it a CUTMA account, the C standing for California. Now, can you explain the main differences between an UTMA account and a 529 plan? Yes, sure. So UTMA accounts are a savings vehicle for minors. You have a beneficiary who's too young, and you can use the UTMA account to store funds for that minor until they reach a certain age, whether it's 18 or 21 or 25. But it doesn't necessarily have to be for educational purposes. From a tax standpoint, and I think this is where the 529 distinguishes itself, Earlier in the podcast, I had mentioned that 529 plans are the unicorn of educational savings, and I think it becomes more apparent as we compare it to other vehicles. But from a tax standpoint, UTMA accounts also enjoy the annual gift tax exclusion amount that you can get with 529 plans. And so in that way, they are similar. However, you lose the income tax benefit of tax deferral that the 529 has. So that's from a tax standpoint. From a non-tax perspective, UTMA accounts have to be distributed at a certain age. And also they could be used for education or not, right? But for 529 plan, from a tax perspective, it's solely used for qualified educational expenses. And also they can keep going. They don't have to be distributed at a certain age and the account owner can change the beneficiary as well. Yes, and I think that's a good benefit, and a lot of our clients like choosing the 529 plan over the UTMA accounts because, one, they want to limit those expenses to educational expenses, and two, they don't want those assets to go outright to the beneficiary at age 18 or 21 or whatever the limit is per state. So that's a good point. And, you know, before when we were talking about 529 plans, we were talking about front-loading, right, the 160 thousand dollars per year in other words can i gift five times the annual exclusion to an utma account today just like i can to a 529 plan can i front load those gifts today unfortunately not that's what makes a 529 so special this front loading feature which you do not get with a utma account and you don't get it with gifting to trust either and now speaking about trust, let's talk about other options. So for trust, we know are a little bit more involved. It requires you hiring an attorney to draft the trust document. You require somebody acting as trustee, so someone overseeing the trust. But I know that they can provide more flexibility. So in what situation would you recommend a trust structure instead of a 529 plan for a client's child or grandchild? That's a good question, Anna. You know, trusts are flexible, and I would say that they're advisable if you have clients or donors who appreciate more flexibility in how you spend the money for the beneficiary and how you invest. Because if you make gifts through a trust, you're not bound by the 529 rules. And so you have the option to invest it yourself if you're self-directed. And you can also spend it for non-educational expenses. So if you're in that situation, you might be thinking about gifting to an irrevocable trust instead of a 529 plan. But you know, the two tools aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. 
What do you mean by that? You know, you can have a trust as an account owner of a 529 plan. And then you can mm. take some of the trust assets to fund the 529 plan with some of the cash. And then maybe you can enjoy the best of both worlds. Oh, that's interesting. That's very interesting. Yeah, you know, trusts give more control in the sense that the donor has more of a say if they're the settler as well. The trust can also provide asset protection, and there are more terms that probably plan better for incapacity. And then if you couple that with the benefits of a 529 plan, which we just talked about, right, income tax deferral and annual gift tax exclusion front loading, couple those together and you have a very compelling planning tool. Yeah, that's a definitely an interesting structure. And you know, now that as I'm thinking of it, the trust is almost like the middle if you think of a 529 plan as being too strict, right? It's only for educational expenses. And the UPMA account on the other end, it goes outright to the beneficiary at a certain age. And a trust, you can add a little bit more flexibility, right, on how to distribute. So it's sort of in the middle of the two. Is that right? That's a good way to put it. And, you know, we always have those clients who don't want to trust because it can be a little too complicated for them and they just want things to be simple, right? They don't want to set anything up. Even a 529 plan or an APMA is too much, right? So what advice or what solution would you give to those clients who don't want to set anything up? You know, for those clients who appreciate simplicity and they don't want to set anything up, they could consider making payments directly to an educational institution. And the reason why they want to consider this is because payments to an educational institution directly enjoy an unlimited gift tax exclusion amount, which is fantastic. And so that's something to consider. You do lose the income tax deferral benefit of a 529 plan. So if you know you're going to do this early on and you've earmarked funds within your estate to make gifts for someone's education, you still might want to think about a 529 plan because it'll grow tax-free. And so if you have younger beneficiaries, it might make more sense to do a 529 plan. If you have beneficiaries closer in age going to school, then gifting to the school directly might make sense as well. To hammer on the point, you have to pay directly to the institution, right? So you can't pay for like a beneficiary's laptop, right? It has to be the tuition for this actual school, and that gets the unlimited. That's exactly right. And then when you also say unlimited, that is beyond the $16,000 annual exclusion, right? So a client can pay, let's say, $60,000 directly to a college for tuition, and that won't count as their annual exclusion or their gift and estate tax against their gift and estate tax exemption, right? That's right. So conceivably, a donor could do both. They could do a 529 plan, and once the front loading is exhausted, they could also pay for the beneficiary's tuition as well if they wanted to go beyond what they can do in the 529 plan for that year. That makes sense with how expensive schooling and colleging can cost today. So any other strategies that you want to discuss, David? Yeah, maybe we can spend a little bit of time on potential abuse, some strategies that are maybe viewed unkindly by the IRS. For example, one of the things that clients may think about doing is perhaps setting up a 529 plan for themselves and using it as a retirement tool because it has a lot of the components and the 
features that are similar to an IRA. And so they can set one up for themselves and allow their assets to grow within that account tax-free and take it out at a later time once the growth has appreciated greatly. And even though there's income tax due on it and a penalty, it still might outweigh the detriment of that. The growth might outweigh the detriment of that. And so that's something to keep an eye on because you're going against the spirit of and the intention of the 529 plan, right? It wasn't set up for retirement purposes. It was set up for educational purposes. So that's one thing to keep an eye out for. Another example is setting up 529 plans for a number of people. And so set up as many 529 plans as you want and you use the gift tax exclusion for each one of them but because you can change the beneficiary, you over time narrow down the number of beneficiaries to one or a few. And now you've mm. taken advantage of the rules to benefit your children or fewer people than what was intended originally. So as you're explaining those two scenarios, the words that are ringing in my mind are step transaction, step transaction, and the IRS could definitely take a look at those two transactions and, as you said, say that they are not in the spirit of what the 529 plan rules and the statute is. Is that right? That's right. The step transaction doctrine is a pretty powerful tool in the IRS's toolbox. And then also you might want to take a look at Section 529F in the Internal Revenue Code. That allows for the Treasury to release regulations on what they think is allowed and not allowed. Those two things are how the IRS combat any potential abuses for 529 plans. All right, great. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. David, thank you again for joining us and discussing the unicorn, those are your words, of educational savings, also known as the 529 plans. Now, if you'd like additional information on this topic, please visit the Trust and Estate section of the California Lawyers Association. Click on the Education tab, and there you can find David's webinar. I've also included the link to the webinar in the show notes as well and David's email address. Thank you for tuning in to Trust Me. Trust Me is a production of the Trusts and Estate section of the California Lawyers Association and produced by Foley Mara Studios. For further information, please go to calawyers.org. Click on Sections, Trusts and Estates, and look for the Education tab to learn about upcoming live programs, online CLE and webcasts, as well as a broad range of low-cost self-study programs. Many of our guests are contributors to the Trusts and Estates Quarterly, the official publication of the section. Benefits of membership include the quarterly, along with email case alerts and other opportunities to stay current in the trusts and estates field. Please consider subscribing to this podcast so that you don't miss our next episode. And thanks for listening to Trust Me.